Mr. Justice Blackman delivered the opinion of the court. This Texas federal appeal and its Georgia companion, Doe v. Bolton, present constitutional challenges to state criminal abortion legislation. The Texas statutes under attack here are typical of those that have been in effect in many states for approximately a century. The Georgia statutes, in contrast, have a modern cast and are a legislative product that, to an extent at least, obviously reflects the influences of recent attitudinal change, of advancing medical knowledge and techniques, and of new thinking about an old issue. We forthwith acknowledge our awareness of the sensitive and emotional nature of the abortion controversy, of the vigorous opposing views, even among physicians, and of the deep and seemingly absolute convictions that the subject inspires. One's philosophy, one's experiences, one's exposure to the raw edges of human existence, one's religious training, one's attitudes towards life and family and their values, and the moral standards one establishes and seeks to observe are all likely to influence and to color one's thinking and conclusions about abortion. In addition, population growth, pollution, poverty, and racial overtones tend to complicate and not to simplify the problem. Our task, of course, is to resolve the issue by constitutional measurement, free of emotion and of predilection. We seek earnestly to do this, and because we do, we have inquired into and in this opinion placed some emphasis upon medical and medical legal history and what that history reveals about a man's attitudes toward the abortion procedure over the centuries. We bear in mind, too, Mr. Justice Holmes's admonition in his now-vindicated dissent in Lochner v. New York, 1905. The Constitution is made for people of fundamentally differing views, and the accident of our finding certain opinions natural and familiar, or novel and even shocking, ought not to conclude our judgment upon the question whether statutes embodying them conflict with the Constitution of the United States. Part 1 the Texas statutes that concern us here are Articles 1191 through 1194 and 1196 of the state's penal code. These make it a crime to procure an abortion, as therein defined, or to attempt one, except with respect to an abortion procured or attempted by medical advice for the purpose of saving the life of the mother. Similar statutes are in existence in a majority of the states. Texas first enacted a criminal abortion statute in 1854. This was soon modified into language that has remained substantially unchanged to the present time. The final article in each of these compilations provided the same exception as does the present Article 1196 for an abortion by 
medical advice for the purpose of saving the life of the mother. Part 2 Jane Rowe, a single woman who was residing in Dallas County, Texas, instituted this federal action in March 1970 against the district attorney of the county. She sought a declaratory judgment that the Texas criminal abortion statutes were unconstitutional on their face and an injunction restraining the defendant from enforcing the statutes. Roe alleged that she was unmarried and pregnant, that she wished to terminate her pregnancy by an abortion performed by a competent licensed physician under safe clinical conditions, that she was unable to get a legal abortion in Texas because her life did not appear to be threatened by the continuation of her pregnancy, and that she could not afford to travel to another jurisdiction in order to secure a legal abortion under safe conditions. She claimed that the Texas statutes were unconstitutionally vague and that they abridged her right of personal privacy, protected by the First, Fourth, Fifth, Ninth, and Fourteenth Amendments. By an amendment to her complaint, Roe purported to sue on behalf of herself and all other women similarly situated. James Hubert Halford, a licensed physician, sought and was granted leave to intervene in Roe's action. In his complaint, he alleged that he had been arrested previously for violations of the Texas abortion statutes and that two such prosecutions were pending against him. He described conditions of patients who came to see him seeking abortions, and he claimed that for many cases he, as a physician, was unable to determine whether they fell within or outside the exception recognized by Article 1196. He alleged that, as a consequence, the statutes were vague and uncertain in violation of the 14th Amendment and that they violated his own and his patient's rights to privacy in the doctor-patient relationship and his own right to practice medicine, rights he claimed were guaranteed by the First, Fourth, Fifth, Ninth, and Fourteenth Amendments. John and Mary Doe, a married couple, filed a companion complaint to that of Roe. They also named the district attorney as defendant, claimed like constitutional deprivations, and sought declaratory and injunctive relief. The Doe's alleged that they were a childless couple, that Mrs. Doe was suffering from a neural chemical disorder, that her physician had advised her to avoid pregnancy until such time as her condition has materially improved, although a pregnancy at the present time would not present a serious risk to her life. That, pursuant to medical advice, she had discontinued use of birth control pills and that, if she should become pregnant, she would want to terminate the pregnancy by an abortion performed by a competent, licensed physician under safe clinical conditions. By an amendment to their complaint, the Doe's purported to sue on behalf of themselves and all couples similarly situated. The two actions were consolidated and heard together 
by a duly convened three-judge district court. The suits thus presented the situations of the pregnant single woman, the childless couple, with the wife not pregnant, and the licensed practicing physician, all joining in the attack on the Texas criminal abortion statutes. Upon the filing of affidavits, motions were made for dismissal and for summary judgment. The court held that Roe and members of her class, and Dr. Halford, had standing to sue and presented justiciable controversies, but that the Doe's had failed to allege facts sufficient to state a present controversy and did not have standing. It concluded that, with respect to the requests for a declaratory judgment, abstention was not warranted. On the merits, the district court held that the fundamental right of single women and married persons to choose whether to have children is protected by the Ninth Amendment through the Fourteenth Amendment, and that the Texas criminal abortion statutes were void on their face because they were both unconstitutionally vague and constituted an overbroad infringement of the plaintiff's Ninth Amendment right. The court then held that abstention was warranted with respect to the request for an injunction. It therefore dismissed the Doe's complaint, declared the abortion statutes void, and dismissed the application for injunctive relief. The plaintiffs, Roe and Doe, and the intervener, Halford, have appealed to this court from that part of the district court's judgment denying the injunction. The defendant, district attorney, has purported to cross-appeal pursuant to the same statute from the court's grant of declaratory relief to Roe and Halford. Both sides also have taken protective appeals to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. That court ordered the appeals held in abeyance pending decision here. We postpone decision on jurisdiction to the hearing on the merit. Our decisions in Mitchell v. Donovan, 1970, and Gunn v. University Committee, 1970, are to the effect that Section 1253 does not authorize an appeal to this court from the grant or denial of declaratory relief alone. We conclude, nevertheless, that those decisions do not foreclose our review of both the injunctive and the declaratory aspects of a case of this kind when it is properly here, as this one is, on appeal under 1253 from specific denial of injunctive relief, and the arguments as to both aspects are necessarily identical. It would be destructive of time and energy for all concerned were we to rule otherwise. Section 4. We are next confronted with issues of justiciability, standing, and abstention. Have Roe and the Doe's established that personal stake in the outcome of the controversy that ensures that the dispute sought to be adjudicated will be presented in an adversary context and in a form historically viewed as capable of judicial resolution? And what effect did the pendency of criminal abortion charges against Dr. Halford 
in a state court have upon the propriety of the federal courts granting relief to him as a plaintiff intervener? Section A. Jane Roe. Despite the use of the pseudonym, no suggestion is made that Roe is a fictitious person. For purposes of her case, we accept as true and as established her existence, her pregnant state as of the inception of her suit in March 1970, and as late as May 21st of that year when she filed an alias affidavit with the district court and her inability to obtain a legal abortion in Texas. Viewing Rose's case as of the time of its filing and thereafter until as late as May, there can be little dispute that it then represented a case or controversy that wholly apart from the class aspects, she, as a pregnant single woman thwarted by the Texas criminal abortion laws, had standing to challenge those statutes. Indeed, we do not read the appellee's brief as really asserting anything to the contrary. The logical nexus between the status asserted and the claims sought to be adjudicated and the necessary degree of contentiousness are both present. The appellee notes, however, that the record does not disclose that Roe was pregnant at the time of the district court hearing on May 22, 1970, or on the following June 17, when the court's opinion and judgment were filed, as he suggests that Roe's case must now be moot because she and all other members of her class are no longer subject to any 1970 pregnancy. The usual rule in federal cases is that an actual controversy must exist at stages of appellate or certiori review, and not simply at the date the action is initiated. But when, as here, pregnancy is a significant fact in the litigation, the normal 266-day human gestation period is so short that the pregnancy will come to term before the usual appellate process is complete. If that termination makes a case moot, pregnancy litigation seldom will survive much beyond the trial stage, and appellate review will be effectively denied. Our law should not be that rigid. Pregnancy often comes more than once to the same woman, and in the general population, if man is to survive, it will always be with us. Pregnancy provides a classic justification for a conclusion of non-mootness. It truly could be capable of repetition, yet evading review. We therefore agree with the district court that Jane Roe had standing to undertake this litigation, that she presented a justiciable controversy, and that the termination of her 1970 pregnancy has not rendered her case moot. Section B. Dr. Halford. The doctor's position is different. He entered Rose's litigation as a plaintiff intervener, alleging in his complaint that he, quote, in the past has been arrested for violating the Texas abortion laws and at the present time stands charged by indictment with violating said laws in the criminal district court of Dallas County, Texas. To wit, one, 
The State of Texas versus James H. Halford, number C6953071H, and 2. The State of Texas versus James H. Halford, number C692524H. In both cases, the defendant is charged with abortion. In his application for leave to intervene, the doctor made like representations as to the abortion charges pending in the state court. These representations were also repeated in the affidavit he executed and filed in support of his motion for summary judgment. Dr. Halford is, therefore, in the position of seeking, in a federal court, declaratory and injunctive relief with respect to the same statutes under which he stands charged in criminal prosecutions simultaneously pending in state court. Although he stated that he has been arrested in the past for violating the state's abortion laws, he makes no allegation of any substantial and immediate threat to any federally protected right that cannot be asserted in his defense against the state prosecutions. Neither is there any allegation of harassment or bad-faith prosecution. In order to escape the rule articulated in the cases cited in the next paragraph of this opinion that, absent harassment and bad faith, a defendant in a pending state criminal case cannot affirmatively challenge in federal court the statutes under which the state is prosecuting him. Dr. Halford seeks to distinguish his status as a present state defendant from his status as a potential future defendant and to assert only the latter for standing purposes here. We see no merit in that distinction. Our decision in Samuels v. Mackle, 1971, compels the conclusion that the district court erred when it granted declaratory relief to Dr. Halford instead of refraining from doing so. The court, of course, was correct in refusing to grant injunctive relief to the doctor. The reasons supportive of that action, however, are those expressed in Samuels v. Mackle and in Younger v. Harris. We note in passing that Younger and its companion cases were decided after the three-judge district court decision in this case. Dr. Halford's complaint in intervention, therefore, is to be dismissed. He is remitted to his defenses in the state criminal proceedings against him. We reverse the judgment of the district court insofar as it granted Dr. Halford relief and failed to dismiss his complaint in intervention. Section C. The Does. In view of our ruling as to Rose standing in her case, the issue of the Doe's standing in their case has little significance. The claims they assert are essentially the same as those of Roe, and they attack the same statutes. Nevertheless, we briefly note the Doe's posture. Their pleadings present them as a childless married couple, the woman not being pregnant, who have no desire to have children at this time because of their having received medical advice, that Mrs. Doe should avoid pregnancy and for other highly personal reasons, but they fear they may face the prospect of becoming parents. 
and if pregnancy ensues, they would want to terminate it by an abortion. They assert an inability to obtain an abortion legally in Texas, and consequently the prospect of obtaining an illegal abortion there or of going outside Texas to some place where the procedure could be obtained legally and competently. We thus have as plaintiffs a married couple who have, as their asserted immediate and present injury, only an alleged detrimental effect upon their marital happiness because they are forced to the choice of refraining from normal sexual relations or of endangering Mary Doe's health through a possible pregnancy. Their claim is that sometime in the future, Mrs. Doe might become pregnant because of possible failure of contraceptive measures, and at that time in the future, she might want an abortion that might then be illegal under the Texas statutes. This very phrasing of the Doe's position reveals its speculative character. Their alleged injury rests on possible future contraceptive failure, possible future pregnancy, possible future unpreparedness for parenthood, and possible future impairment of health. Any one or more of these several possibilities may not take place, and all may not combine. In the Doe's estimation, these possibilities might have some real or imagined impact upon their marital happiness. But we are not prepared to say that the bare allegation of so indirect an injury is sufficient to present an actual case or controversy. Part 5 The principal thrust of the appellant's attack on the Texas statutes is that they improperly invade a right, said to be possessed by the pregnant woman, to choose to terminate her pregnancy. Appellant would discover this right in the concept of personal liberty embodied in the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause, or in personal, marital, familial, and sexual privacy said to be protected by the Bill of Rights or its penumbras, or among those rights reserved to the people by the Ninth Amendment. Before addressing this claim, we feel it desirable briefly to survey, in several aspects, the history of abortion for such insight as that history may afford us, and then to examine the state purposes and interests behind the criminal abortion laws. We've finished the first half of this opinion, but don't worry, the next episode will pick up exactly where this episode ended. Until next episode, thanks for listening to what SCOTUS wrote us.